Welcome to Founders Field Notes, the podcast where you can learn from founders how to become a founder. I'm founder and CEO of Klugonics Group, Jason Klug. Welcome to this week's episode with my friend, Zach Miller. This episode is sponsored by, of course, Klugonics Group, because it's my company and we pay for all of this. So why not be a sponsor? Full service, end-to-end product development, manufacturing, sourcing, and management. We help companies and entrepreneurs and founders and inventors design, engineer, prototype, source, manufacturing, manage it, the whole kit and caboodle from beginning to end. We've made hundreds of products. We can help you today. Feel free to reach out on our website, www.clugonics.com. Let's get into it. So this week, as I said, we have Zach Miller. He's a friend of mine from Atlanta. He was visiting. He is a very new entrepreneur. I figured it'd be fun to do something a little different today, where instead of having a more experienced founder, I actually thought it would be great to talk to Zach, who is in the process of having a day job and having a side company that he's building up. So hopefully one day he can leave his day job and work full time on his company. His company is called ZLM Lighting. They specialized in doing lighting consulting for workspaces, buildings, architectural companies, etc. Multifamily homes. He's become an expert over time working with lighting systems and architects and designers and figured why not consult various companies on installing the right lighting system so the environment can be perfect for whatever environment it's in. Listen in to Zach Miller and me talk about him building his new business. All right. So talk to me about uh, Zach. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in San Diego, California until I was like 10 mm-hmm. or so. Moved out because my parents' job were back in the day. So I don't have like a West Coast claim anymore. Mm-hmm. really just based off Atlanta. When did you move there then? I was like 10 years old. So to Atlanta? To Atlanta, yeah. I think I moved there when I was, let's see, eighth grade? Okay. Yeah. Let's so, see. Well, how old was I in eighth grade? Was that 13, 14? Yeah. Similar time frame. So Yeah. Yeah. Right there. And I feel like I'm no longer a Midwesterner. Really? Because I moved from the Midwest, and I think that's what, like, yeah, going through, like, the high school and stuff and college there. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I, I came from San Diego, technically, but I have, like, four memories of that time, you know? Yeah. I have some people from back there, but I say y'all now. I ate chicken biscuits and stuff, man. So. I don't, I just try not to say y'all. <laughs> it comes out a lot. I mean, honestly, like, I mean, it's so typical down yeah. there. Maybe I guess that helps me. Uh, the 10 years things. of being here has changed that, too. Kind of West Coast. Really? I guess Utah, not quite West Coast. Is that, it, it's still kind of Midwest, isn't it? Or is I, it more like, I guess it's more Western. Yeah. I've never heard Utah called Midwest. Mm-hmm. I feel like that stops after like Kansas. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. So you go to, you, you went to high school and stuff and well, middle school, high school, and then college in Georgia. All in Georgia. You go yeah. to UGA. I did not. No, I actually realized I'm wearing this shirt today. It was just the one <laughs> collar shirt I bought on this trip. Where did you go to school? Uh, I went to Kennesaw State. Oh, yeah, that's know. right. So, yeah. So, that's where you met Eric then? or um, No, not at all. After? Actually, we just we were talking about this this week mm. that he he was there too. But no, mm-hmm. I studied chemistry in college. Totally mm. not related to mm. anything that I do now. Yeah. And ended up working with the company. I met a guy at a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, 
was just eating breakfast with him and basically asked him for a job at the end of our kind of conversation oh, nice. we had. And so I started working at a company called CCI, Critical Components Incorporated, mm-hmm. uh, where I've been for seven years as well. Sounds technical. It is. It's a re- really in the data center world, which again, oh. nothing related to chemistry, nothing else. You Interesting. Know, everything I learned there was very much on the job. But What does that have to do with lighting? So um, with what we did there, <laughs> uh, it did a lot. We worked a lot with electrical engineers and contractors. Uh, so that uh-huh. was our main, it was specification sales for UPSs, generators, big yeah. backup equipment for data centers. Okay. So we did that. Um, and so we wanted to diversify, get into more realms. And so that's when we got into lighting. Because huh. with lighting, you call on the same people. Yeah. Um, you just now add in architects and tier designers. Yeah. And so did that for a number of years. We started doing that kind of business. And I just fell in love with that versus the data center stuff. Yeah. And especially just like, it was more the people than anything else. Like the architects and tier designers, especially in Atlanta, are just like some of my best friends in the world mm-hmm. now. Just awesome people who love new experiences. And, you know, I yeah. just really, you know, love them. That's how I met Eric. So I met a bunch of people. So Yeah. Oh, um, so you met them through architecture. Yeah. So I mean, cool. yeah, Eric was a work friend first, which is funny, but. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not anymore. Now you're just homies. Yeah. That's right. Now you're pow mow buddies. That's right. powder buddies. You had a good ski weekend in Utah. Yeah. You got fantastic. lucky. I mean, well, I guess this season, a lot of people got lucky. Yeah. Because it's been like this every week. Like, I haven't seen it. Like, it's it's now April and it dumped this morning. And it just hasn't been like that for since I've been here. Yeah. I guess the last snowstorm was like this. That was, or a year like this was like 15 years ago. So you got, chose a good year to go yeah. get some powder. It was fantastic. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's steep and deep. <laughs> well, that's cool. So you got a, you, you, you've had a day job, but now you're starting. Your new company. Yeah. So a year ago, um, CC asked me to do something different with them. I was the mm-hmm. really only person there doing the lighting side mm-hmm. of what we were doing. And so um, they asked me to take on a different position, a little more just flying around the US dealing with certain customers. Mm-hmm. And we had a conversation back at that point in time. And I told them, I'll take this, but if I do this, I want to be able to break the lighting out to my own company and just do this on the side. Mm. And there was a few different things where I was able, easier to talk them into it, but mm. mostly I was like, you wouldn't care if I stopped doing this tomorrow. So they're like, a pretty small company then are able to be nimble we're or? getting bigger. Um, yeah. they, they were, I was the 17th person they ever hired and okay. now they have 51 current active okay. employees. So we have yeah. grown, especially over like COVID in the past few years. Yeah. Um, data centers have blown up and so we've been growing too. So they basically can be your client. Yeah, yeah, they've uh, it's we, a good transition. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They we we built out a new office for CCI, and I was able to do all the lighting design and uh, mm-hmm. provide the provide the lights for them and everything. So mm-hmm. absolutely, you you convinced them to start letting you do side hustles within their day the day job. Yeah, absolutely. So, so like, going well, and and what do you, what exactly like when you go in and do this? What do you what are you doing then? What's different than what you're doing before? Well, now there's no support. So I had some people doing quotes and stuff for me. So now that all that Excel work and accounting yeah. and keeping up with all that, it's all me now. Uh-huh. Um, but um, it's pretty similar to what I was doing before, just under mm-hmm. a new banner um, mm-hmm. and just just not having the the backup as, that I had before with them. So as a customer, what what is that service for me? So, how do you, like my office, you look in it and it's like the lighting's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> so So how would you come in here and help me, you know, change the mood in the environment with lighting. Yeah. I think it's very important and it's not something we've put effort into, yeah. <laughs> which we need to. You know, you're, you're focused on a lot of things. Here, yeah. So, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's critical for a space for sure. Mm-hmm. So um, whether it depends where you bring in an architect or an interior designer, if you're working with a group like that, mm-hmm. then uh, I would work with them as far as helping to design all the lighting for the space. Mm-hmm. You know, first you take in consideration what actually is going on in the room mm-hmm. and what level of foot candles or what level of light we need in certain task areas. Mm-hmm. Then from there, you get into more of the accent, the ambient lighting. And getting it to just be a really, really nice space people enjoy to be in. So it's like so, not it's not just the 
the actual light itself. It's the the aesthetic of the fixtures and all that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's all different aspects. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, so it's very creative process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I, <laughs> again, did chemistry in school, like never really did that many, mm-hmm. I guess, creative things. Um, but that is, that, that's one of the coolest things I've kind of found through working with these people. I mean, mm-hmm. let me talk about architecture designers. I mean, crazy creatives, especially the ones like you even know, like mm-hmm. incredibly creative people. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, I don't know, helped bring that out of me a little bit and like show me that and help me kind of work on that kind of thing. So, but you could have fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. But, but yeah, so either with them or with, uh, or with an end user, with an owner, uh, like mm-hmm. yourself, just like, you know, you get the, get the space, you design mm-hmm. it out, you talk about what they would like it to be like, um, and what the different areas and rooms are needed for, and mm-hmm. then try to bring it together into a cohesive design. Mm-hmm. So then what are you, uh, what are you doing? Like when you're finding these lights, are you building a catalog and sources so, or like, how are you starting to like aggregate? like what you can offer and what lights you use so you're not using because obviously everybody's requirements will be different and the more you have the more you can offer and stuff so how are you building out that catalog right now right so i've started initially very small because again doing the little bit of work for cci and then Mm -hmm. doing this too i didn't know what level of time commitment i could be giving to my manufacturers and to my customers Mm -hmm. so i cut down we had like 40 ish manufacturers over at cci initially okay and so i cut it down to eight initially it's pretty good 10 now Mm -hmm. um and as i've figured out the flow of you know my timing and as like uh first year was just um it was a year anniversary on march 25th and so after kind of getting through the first year getting through the tax season knowing i'm not going bankrupt like i'm gonna be able to keep doing this for a little longer (laughs) Mm -hmm. um after getting through all of that and it's growing and like i mean people in Atlanta, like I'm doing some cool work with some really awesome people. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, like I'm actually trying to grow as well. So I was in March, I was in New York for an event called Education, just uh, selling myself to all the Education, Education, LED education. Oh, L-Education. cool. So yeah. Yeah. Um, great conference up there to see manufacturers and stuff. So yeah. basically I'm contracted with 10 manufacturers in Georgia where I am the exclusive um, person you can go to for those things. Oh, that's nice. My initial game plan was to have only a few mm-hmm. and then if I needed something else on a project that I didn't have, like if I was working with an architect, they wanted something that I just did not have. Mm-hmm. I have a few, basically competitors, but reps down in Atlanta who like I'm very friendly with. Mm-hmm. I've worked with on projects in the past as far as like combination yeah. rep packages. Yeah. So um, I was, my thought was to just borrow things from their line card. Yeah. And then I'll say, hey, like you price your stuff, I'll price mine. Like I'm a free rep for you basically. I'm getting your stuff on schedules mm-hmm. without any work you're doing. So. Mm-hmm. Also, don't cross my stuff. Don't try to steal my projects. Right. So, uh, so it's kind of twofold thing and using them. But as I'm growing, I don't really want to give away all that revenue on yeah. a couple of projects. So there's one or two well, manufacturers in particular. That you're be, land grabbing. Yeah. Yeah, you're kind of like gaining. You're land grabbing manufacturers and clientele, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Because it seems like this is something that pretty much any business will need at some point. When they get a space. Yeah. So absolutely. it's it's a very broad, like you, you have a very broad client base. Like it doesn't matter what they do. And now you're not stuck to doing server rooms and stuff, right? Right. So which you, is, you which can, can be fun anywhere. too, don't get me wrong, but. Sure. Yeah. But now you could do anybody, like our right. office, you know, yeah. where it's like we, uh, this is not something we thought about, but we always talked about it. So I've bought some like cheap lights here and there, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, th- this room having, being like a big, warehouse building it's like not like we get much natural light right like i prefer natural light like this room that's why i don't i i'm one that would even if it's darker outside i'd rather leave the lights off and still keep it very uh natural in here yeah 
And I like, I'll sit in here and it looks like it seems like a dark room, but it's like not to me. I'd rather be that way than having lighting, but it's because I don't have the right lighting. Right. I'll say that. Thought. I mean, the natural lighting is very, very comfortable. There's mm. millions of studies that just tell you how, like, you should be in sunlight. You need to be in mm-hmm. sunlight. Your body wants and craves sunlight. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's very, that's critical. And a lot of the, the things we do nowadays, as far as interior lighting, is just trying to mimic what's going on outside. Mm-hmm. There's a thing called circadian rhythm lighting, mm-hmm. where basically the color temperature of the actual luminaire shifts throughout mm-hmm. the day from like mm-hmm. in the morning, a very warm, like orangish hue of white light mm-hmm. up to during like noon, you get to like very, very bright, uh, you know. More blue. Bluish. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That's uh, what this is for right here, apparently. This is like one of those uh, happy lights I was telling you about. Okay. I think it's unplugged. But this one, <laughs> this one is for that exactly. Right. Yeah, the, I guess the amount of light it gives off and it's like a little moon. Does it work? <laughs> Whatever it works. There we go. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, see? That's like a good... And you can change the warmth of it. You know, but apparently the type of LED used and then the way it works is supposed to be make you happy. Okay. So we'll leave this on and make ourselves we'll happy. See, we'll see if it starts working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's neat. It's not something you think about, but it seems like a very in-need service. And so you're you're basically having to... I mean, it takes me back to like when I was starting my company and not only are you executing, you have to go in sales mode mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Absolutely. And it's like hard to juggle them, especially like when you get some good deals that like keep you busy and then all of a sudden those deals wrapped up and you're like, oh damn. I haven't been calling on Time people to for go a little get bit. More, yeah. you know, more deals. Yeah. So it's like you almost always have to be hustling, you know, even in current projects like hustling to get your next project so it's like lined up yeah so how have you been like going about that are you like cold calling people are you messaging are you just walking into spaces with some lamps and saying hey let me help you out (laughs) so i don't do a lot of um don't need to do a lot of straight cold calling Uh, so most Mm -hmm. of the time i work with again architects tier designers and they're used to lighting resources like me coming into their space Mm -hmm. and speaking with them so it's pretty easy to get on people's calendars so i try to just make sure i try to do about two calls a week at the very minimum Mm -hmm. like of what I like just make sure I get out and see two so you're people. you're just touching base with them, really. Absolutely. And then they already have projects in the future. They're going to say, well, we need this project up here in the future to do this and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So that's easy. Well, and then nice. new firms, you just call and you speak to them. You get on mm-hmm. the calendar. It'll be like six months in the future. So yeah. like right now, I know my September is going to be really, really crazy packed because I mm-hmm. set up way too many meetings in it. But uh, That's good. But yeah, so just pushing it. Out. Yeah. So the sales cycle is pretty long because they know they're going to need it, but they have so much other stuff to do in the building and yeah. the space before you come in. So it's nice to be able to plan far ahead and, you know. Well, and sometimes, I mean, you get a project that like is like in the design phase for years. Like yeah. we can work on something. There was a project I worked on, like it was the first day, like when I started this new company, I just mm-hmm. happened to be working on this one project mm-hmm. that um, just came out to bid uh, like last month. So mm-hmm. it's a, almost a year long before from going to drawings and like talking about this to mm-hmm. like, okay, they're actually bidding it. And now there's probably gonna be a revision. So, I mean, it get kicked out of the road another six months. So yeah. it can be a year and a half, a couple of years before, yeah. you know, it actually comes through to fruition. It's And it's like, you have to just keep planting those seeds that's like for my sales team and what I used to do before I had a sales team even, I would go to these trade shows and it would be like, I would go to a sh- trade show like three years in a row. And, you know, the first year I might make a connection with somebody. Next year I'd say, hey, how have you been? You know, like, you know, forgetting that we haven't really, uh, we haven't done a project together yet, but it's like they know who I am and so on and so forth. And at that point I would like shift the dynamic to be like, let's like be friends, you know, and not talk about what we do. Like, I don't need to pitch you on it. Yeah. And I found that that was super valuable where it was like, 
like, how's business? Like, what's going on? How's the family? Whatever. And it started to get to the point where, you know, you, the more and more times you do that every year following up, when now when I walk around those shows, like the New York Toy Fair, I'll walk in, it's like almost every aisle, there's someone that I remember and can yeah. reconnect with to where whenever a development project comes up, it's like, we're top of their mind. And they're like, oh, now I get a chance to talk yeah. to Jason about this project. And it's like, but it's, it is like, this. that's like a three-year sales cycle, for example. Right. You know, and it depends on the size of the company. Some like smaller companies, they're more nimble and stuff. But when you're talking like big commercial builds, I'm sure it's like, like you're saying, like years and years and years because they got the initial, you know, concept sketch of the building yep. and the concept interior and stuff where you're proposing stuff. But I'm sure it just completely evolves to when you're actually implementing, then things change. Oh, yeah. So have you done installations where it's like you walk in after the installation and you're just like, oh, this is not how I expect it to turn out? <laughs> Sometimes. Typically, that goes on, especially like some multifamily projects. There's a lot of um, like these big apartments. There's a lot of like random distributors who will come in from everywhere and like direct import stuff and just say, like, oh, we can do that the same. And basically, there's only one or two times where like I don't know that it's happening, but like oh. stuff gets totally swapped in and substituted. Yep. Um, but most of the time, um, if it goes through all the proper processes, then, you know, we, we send out a submittal and the designers actually reviewing it and saying, Hey, this is what we designed for this space this is what was planned. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's been a few times where, you know, you walk on a project and the designer is like telling me like, Hey, these custom things we made, these look terrible. Why? Like, like what's up with this? Let's fix it. And I'm like, I didn't provide those. So yeah. let's figure out where they came from. Cause yeah. that's a problem. So, yeah. I mean, that happens with product development where like you know, an engineer at the factory makes tweaks without consulting the sure. initial designers or engineers. And it's like, no, there is a reason why we did it that way. Like, I get that's more efficient, but it removes the value add that we're trying to solve, you know, and it's hard to, you know, well, by the end of the day, over time, now that we've built out and own the office, you know, in China that works at the factories and stuff, we're able to control it a little bit more, but it like yeah. still happens. Right. But, you know, Thinking back to like when I was just an engineer doing just CAD work, I mean, yeah, the way products would evolve beyond me, it was just massive. And it's just what it is what it is until I can control that part of the process. But yeah, over time then, I'm sure it gets better and better. It sounds like you have a pretty steady flow of clients and you're still doing your day job. Yeah. Absolutely. So like what's your what's your hourly split then right now? <laughs> is it like 40-40 um, or what? It's, I mean, it, it goes back and forth week by week, certainly. Um, it's probably about 40, 40. I mean, Were yeah, you doing a lot 40, of, 80 hour weeks. To, pretty <laughs> much a lot of the time. Lighting. Little stuff over the weekend. So it's not like necessarily like, you know, 16 a day. Like that mm -hmm. would be, you know, pretty insane. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe 30, 30, 40, 30, yeah. 30, 40, wherever back and forth. So you get it. You, you know, it's, I mean, it's always heavy until you quit your day job and could go full bore on it. But, and if you time that out and plan for that or thought about it. I, I'm, so I'm in a weird spot right now where I like the day job I'm doing too. There is the burnout kind of potential of, you know, just again, all this time being spent towards it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it would be when I can get some other people involved too, and like a mm -hmm. bigger force. I'm kind of in a weird in-between point now where I'm either going to stay kind of a smaller boutique rep, if you will, mm -hmm. um, and only have a few lines, like just work on my few things, or I end up hiring a bunch of people and getting big and being one of the biggest, you know, three mm -hmm. in Atlanta versus just being like, you know, the sixth down the list of a smaller group. So it depends. Yeah. Well, if it's less, do you want to do that? I, I don't know, which is so yeah. funny. Like I love 
where I'm at right now. I figured out what's really valuable to me right now is my freedom is being able right. to, you know, go where I want, do what I want. It's probably a pretty, you know, young and like naive way of looking at things, but it's something very, very yeah. exciting to me right now. Yeah. And so the having my own business certainly would be that would be the freedom to be able to truly do whatever mm-hmm. I want. Um, and I mean, that's very appealing to me. So that is, I don't know. I think that this is my best chance to, to really build something. I mean, certainly there could be more in the future, but mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in a position right now that I don't think a lot of people get to get to be when so, they're 27. So. so you think going big would prevent you from doing that, having the freedom? I think for a bit it might, because I think I'll be really hands-on um, just for a few years. But then, I mean, eventually down the line, that's when it, the freedom kind of comes yeah. back again. So I um, mean, maybe. I feel like I had more freedom the bigger I got. Because in one, you have more cash. Yeah. And then two, you have more people to delegate to that can take things off your hands and like right. run the show when you're not there. You know, versus when you're solo, you know, like I feel like, now I could disconnect for 10 days and not even look at my email knowing that if there's a fire, I'll figure it out later right. and put it out later. But if I was solo or even even like two or three smaller shop, there, if there's a fire, like if I don't solve it, then we can have more catastrophic issues versus trusting the team to try to work through it. Right. So I feel like it's it's you get that more, yeah, more autonomy and more freedom as you start replacing those, you know, key resources from yourself. That actually makes sense because I mean I was thinking of a way of like if I have a bunch of people then I need to be like showing up and being at the office and like being there and like yeah. and there's a certain degree of that too I'm sure but yeah, yeah the more I could delegate would be fantastic because right now yeah. there's no reality of me taking a week off if that makes yeah. sense like if right. I'm just gone for a week then you're still taking calls and stuff yeah hundred yeah, percent yeah you're still jumping on email and taking meetings and stuff and I kind of like that I kind of like that ability to you know work from anywhere and like sure. have those calls and everything else but but yeah I haven't disconnected from my from my phone and like. Six years. Yeah. (laughs) I think it was for me, it was like six years in that I took like my first trip where I didn't even, maybe it was actually was less than six years in. It was like five years in where I took my first legit trip and it was like a 10 day trip and I completely disconnected. I didn't even like, I purposely didn't even look at my phone and like uh, came back and everything was fine. But that's when I realized I was like, okay, I I should, I need to do this more because it, you know, burnout's like so real. And even like a trip like you're on now where you're still like taking calls and stuff, it's like sometimes can be even hard to just like chill out and take it in. Yeah, because you're just tired. You're far from home. You don't have like the normal, you know, people and everything around you. Yeah. I mean, the last like month I've traveled, I mean, I've been in my bed like six days, maybe total the yeah. last four months. So yeah, like definitely. Wears on you. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Mine was like trade show trips. I would go to so many oh. trade shows. Mm-hmm. And that's where we would find all of our clients because it's like a buffet of deals. Yeah, You know what I mean? Where it's like the toy shows, the home good shows, all those shows. It's like basically just lined up with potential customers. And I would go to as many shows as I could and just you'd walk the aisles. And then at the nighttime, you see what social events they have going on. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm out. And then, yeah, I mean, that would... And you would do that back to back to back. And yeah. then I started implementing in the China thing. So I was doing China trips as well at the same time. So I was like, I think I did like a 250,000 miles one year. I think that was 2019 actually. And in wow. like one year. So I was like, holy cow, that was too much. <laughs> yeah, I was burnt out. Mm-hmm. It was like two, three trips a month. Because that'll wear on you and burn you out. Yeah. Yeah. Just sitting in some random hotel room 
every night. For, mm-hmm. And especially, the, I mean, the trade shows, you're totally right. I mean, you can mm-hmm. depend. I'm better about it now. I'm better about saying no and like going home early now. But mm-hmm. there's some people at those shows that are like, we're going out till 2 a.m. Oh, yeah, they'll they do go that hard. Every night. And then you walk all day back and forth, back and forth, and you're talking and your voice goes away. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like intense. Uh, but it's like a great way to build. It's like way more efficient because you got so many people in one spot. You can achieve a lot of business in a shorter period of time, but definitely, it definitely wears on you. So, so eventually, do you feel like there's a point where you'll, you know, obviously doing this service is one thing where you're helping consult and position and, you know, suggesting lights. Do you think there's a point where you'll make your own lights and start doing stuff that's yours so you can take some of that margin as well? Potentially. It's... It's such a crowded space that mm. it would be it would have to be something crazy unique that really isn't out there yet, um, mm. and and that I could like patent and get something for. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, I mean, there's 800 versions of everything, and as soon as you do come up with something, you know, those mm-hmm. trade shows you're talking about, there's one called Light Fair, mm-hmm. where there's um, there's like all of they now have it separated out. It's actually dying a little bit as a trade show because. Any manufacturer who would like show something new and cool there next year, there would be all these international manufacturers the very oh, totally. next year who had the exact same thing. And they're like, we're not coming here anymore. We're not going to show anything. Yeah. Um, and they've set up some things maybe for a little more protection there. But yeah. Um, but it's so easy to get something. It would have to be something super unique. Because I mean, everyone has, you know, a bunch of troffers and like, you know, downlights, like little mm-hmm. can lights and everything you have. Like a, a million people make that. So, But who's making the margin on those? The manufacturers, certainly. So like, are you, are you buying direct from China? Are you buying through a U.S. company that's buying them direct from China? We've worked. I've worked in the past with some companies that are direct from China. Um, working with um on like specifically multifamily projects. Typically, if I'm doing mm-hmm. that, it was for these like super high volume. Like we need two thousand of these and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that went fine. Um, a couple of times. Most of the times we're working with. Um, so my, my manufacturers who I work with, uh, most typically have a factory in China or in India. And then import to either Toronto is one of my biggest ones mm-hmm. or into various places in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so either they get the full custom, sorry, fully constructed fixture mm-hmm. brought all the way over and then they just turn around and resell it. Or mm-hmm. a lot of them do value added such, such mm-hmm. stuff. Wow. A lot of them do value added stuff. Mm-hmm. So for example, Europhase brings in all the components and they'll assemble their own fixtures there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one called Lumen Focus down in uh, that goes ahead and actually like bends metal and builds the actual full fixtures themselves sure. and tries to make it as much built in America as it can. So, um, so yeah, it, it would have to be something unique because otherwise I don't see the point in making another downlight manufacturer through working with a, you know, a factory. Unless you're just ma- that, making that margin instead of giving it to someone else. I mean, that would be great too. Because yeah. the thing is, though, is if you're selling them and moving them, why not, you know, take that margin for yourself? You could be the one direct working directly with a source. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is that not interesting to you? That definitely is. Again, Especially only- if you're selling 2,000 units. You, you basically, because I'm sure that they are buying them, doubling the cost and selling to you, and then you can add some of your margin on top of it versus you could then sell, you know, with your margin, your markup, plus the... Um, the manufactured markup. Yeah, so you basically are doubling or tripling the costs and, you know, yeah, importing it. I've only ever worked with, even when I'm working with importing it, like, and I say directly, I'm still working through someone else. So they're probably right. the ones doing that markup. So if there's a yeah. method for that, and you'd probably be a good person to chat to you about oh, yeah. potentially figuring that out. So Yeah, especially if you're looking at 
thousand unit quantity or two thousand and multifamily home makes sense because every single kitchen has this light, yep. every you know, so it's a bathroom has the light fixtures and stuff like that. I mean, we definitely help with that. Because off the shelf stuff that looks nice, that works well, is easy bolt on and stuff. And you know, we can import that. Cause at scale, I'm sure there's a lot of repeat stuff where you could even start inventorying some of them. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then that's uh, that's like big money shit right there. Right. Yeah. Then you don't need a day job. <laughs> then we're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not done. That's when the real work begins. Right. <laughs> that's a. I mean, it's a very scalable model. You know, because it's like when you're an expert and you understand the the like what's needed in a space when it comes to lighting. You you know what's out there and available that's unique that looks nice and you can make good suggestions and stuff like that. So, um, and especially if you're start starting to make the suggestions, knowing that if you suggest this, you're going to make more margin on it than you, and you start focusing on those items, then yeah. it'll be, you know, yeah, good. Or if you start seeing a trend where people are gravitating towards this style of light consistently, then it's like, well, I'm going to start, I'm going to find a source for that one, mm-hmm. you know, cause we could source off of a photo easily. Right. You know, if there's a photo of a style of light that you like, we can go and find that and find a supplier directly and then import it. So, yeah, something to think about. That's a really interesting model. I'm curious. Yeah. We should talk about this more. I'm curious if that gets me into, because I mean, if I start warehousing stuff, am I competing with my distributors who are the main people who purchase from me? Maybe. And then if I'm, if but, I am a... Well, you might not have to warehouse it. You might, you might be able to just import it directly to the job, for example. Okay. Right? Because yeah. the distributors are the installers that you're talking to. We have distributors and installers, two separate groups. But the distributors yeah. just, they bring in stuff. They write POs, they're the bank for the project. And yeah. they bring it into their warehouse and then ship it over time. But a well, lot of you, times... Then you for import some of them, right to their warehouse. But some of their stuff, like, so for example, they also stock basic stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, well, again, that's why I was like, it needs to be something kind of like cool mm-hmm. or weird. Um, mm-hmm. Because again, they, they stock hundreds of, you know, the basic mm-hmm. troffers and basically like other lights you have in the space. So, so if you're finding things that are even a little unique that satisfy the needs of the job. I mean, yeah, that's easy for you because then you just import right to their warehouse and they deal with all the warehouse stuff right. too. That's even better. So that would be good. So that eliminates you having to deal with all that because mm-hmm. owning a warehouse sucks. Right. <laughs> I mean, we got one. I'll show it to you on the way out. And it's like, it's its own little bubble that runs right. itself, thankfully. But yeah, setting that up was a pain. And if it was just me still at that point, I would definitely need more people because if it was just me yeah. at that point running around this warehouse, pulling down product and putting it on truck. Oh, no chance. <laughs> no chance. So, I mean, if you're, but if you're at that level, you're, you can afford it, you know, but right. still at the same time, if you could eliminate that step and go bring it, basically import the container right to them, for example, uh, one, you're making way more margin on it, but then also, you know, that's easy for you. You just make sure it shows up that address. Yeah. And that's it. And then you collect your money, which is, um, yeah, that's totally scalable. Well, that's neat. Does that make you think about going big then? I mean, yeah, especially, <laughs> I mean, you made a good point about, I, I, I think, again, I kept thinking that the bigger I get, the more and more like responsibility and time and everything would be needed mm-hmm. there. But you're right. If I get the right people in place, then, you know, I won't have to be doing everything. So, so I think about being a business owner, like an octopus or being an octopus where you have eight arms and each arm is like a specific skill set. So like finance, creative sales, marketing, whatever. Right. And you got to figure out what of your eight arms you're going to cut off first and replace yourself with. So have you thought about 
Like, what are those things that you would want to replace yourself? And knowing that, you know, some of those things like finance and stuff, you could probably use just a part-time bookkeeper or whatever that you outsource that to, you know, and cut that arm off easily and low cost. Um, but the things that are like more tangible around your your service offering, what would be the first thing? Would it be uh, the sales side of it? Would it be the actual creative and consulting side of it? Mm-hmm. You know, would it be the you know, the person that helps you operationally. So like when you go in and you sell us a building or an architect or a group on X lighting package with all these items and this room gets this, this room gets that, they're the ones that you pass all that information off to and they're the ones that execute and make sure it it happens. Like, what are your thoughts? What do you think you'll replace first? So I'm already doing that. I have a CPA I've been working with from the beginning and then she recommended after she got to see the state of my QuickBooks um, mm-hmm. here at the uh, end of the year. She recommended I work with a bookkeeper. So mm-hmm. uh, already cheaply cutting off that arm at this moment. Yeah. Um, but uh, the first one would be definitely uh, like inside support and everything else. There's a lot mm-hmm. of like the more, so like there's there's things I'm good at, things I'm not. The creative stuff, like the actual, like, you know, seeing people, the sales side, like um, the, mm-hmm. you know, being excited about lighting and like, talking to people about right. it. Love that. Super great That's at that. the hardest thing for most founders to replace anyway. Yeah. Which that. is good. So that makes sense. And so, yeah, at some point, definitely would love to have some more, you know, mm-hmm. guys getting out there or girls, mm-hmm. and but uh, just getting a bigger team. But mm-hmm. the first thing for sure would be the, um, like all the follow up stuff and like, so like basically inside sales support. So someone Execution. doing the quotes, doing, yeah, quotes, submittals, yeah. all of the above. Like, yeah. So like operational project management type. The, the sit at the desk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sitting at the desk, mm-hmm. you know, making sure mm-hmm. all this individual information is correct and getting it done. So yeah. I can do it. It's like brain numbing and I just got to sit down and I like can't do crush it, it out. It's, I, but <laughs> that's my hardest thing was doing that stuff. Yeah. And I wasn't able to do it at the level I should have done it until I started hiring uh, operational resources. Mm-hmm. And they, are, they can be like the more expensive part of hiring because like, you know, but they, they give you the ability to do more. You know what I mean? So you have to think about it like, okay, if I hire this person and replace this role, does that mean that I could take two more jobs a month? Yeah. And then obviously they'll pay, that'll pay for that role, um, which is, is good, but it's also like, it could be scary. Yeah. You know, especially, uh, cash flow wise. Yeah. But I'm also nervous. Like, I feel like, you know, I'm making a promise to someone if I'm bringing them on mm-hmm. that. Hey, I can pay you a salary. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And then like, what if stuff dries up, you know, which I, yeah. you can't think that way, I'm sure. But, you know. It, gotta, if anything, it motivates you to hustle harder. Yeah. Yeah. I, I gotta make sure that. Craig's kids can eat. Like <laughs> Exactly. Because especially now that it's like, when I have like, you know, 70 employees, I don't think about how, or, or I think about often like, okay, if they've got spouses, children, whatever, you know, like how many, uh, you know, mouths that are actually being fed off of it. Yeah. You know, it could be nerve wracking, but at the same time, um, it's like the only way to like scale, you know, but yeah. Yeah. That's something I see commonly with founders though. It's like them replacing a position too late and then like things get, you know, off. Like for example, a lot of direct to consumer brands and consumer product companies, they tend to not, fill the role of operations and order management and stuff like that. And they constantly have stock out issues Mm -hmm. because they don't have someone that's focusing on, you know, the ins and outs of the product, the reordering, the uh, projections and planning and so on and so forth. And that's what, and then, then they stock out and stock outs hurt so much because when you don't have the inventory, you're not doing the sales or your sales tank. 
and you have to build back up each time. Um, so I've noticed that's like pretty commonly one of the first things that goes, depending on the founder. Because sometimes the founder is very operationally focused and then they need to hire uh, someone that's like the creative or the the front end side of things. Yeah. You know? So it's like, you have to think about it like the Steve Jobs and the Wozniak. You know, if you're the jobs person, right? Which you are, the creative, like mm-hmm. the leader, the sales, all that stuff. You need that kind of like that Wozniak executor in the back end. Yeah. Yeah. So are you going to go home and hire someone now? I might have to go try. Yeah. <laughs> see if I can afford them. We'll, we'll count the pennies up and see, uh, yeah. see what we can do. Yeah. I mean, or if you just kind of figure out like, okay, when I get the, you know, this many jobs locked in, then I know I can do it. And then, and then it gives you the ability to take that leap. Mm-hmm. So I could look into some kind of, I don't know. How do you feel about like having someone on even like hourly at first and then being like, Oh yeah. Hey, if you can find someone that's in that position, that's always yeah. a good way to go. Okay. Yeah. Cause then it takes off that wrist and then they're not solely relying on you. And, um, but it's harder to find people that are looking for part-time. True. Yeah. You know, but um, you know, maybe someone that has a, a day job that's like lighter, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then, and then they moonlight with you as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and, works. And then get them to a point if I'm like, okay, this is definitely valuable. Need mm-hmm. this person. And mm-hmm. you can kind of get them the full time too. And you'll see if they're taking off, you know, 30, 40% of your workload. Does that mean that you could gain 30, 40% of time towards finding new customers? Right. And that's usually what ends up happening. Yeah. If you're hustling, which it sounds like you are. Yeah. So. Yeah, those are always those things that like they're very common in a startup. And I look back to it and you know, it definitely took me a lot of trial and error to figure it out. How long was it just you? <laughs> oh, um let's see, 2014. Well, even early on I still had would bring in contractors here and there. So like I would bring in a designer for projects here and there. Um, then I, let's see, I brought in my first part-time engineer. So to your point of like bringing in part-time contractor, I think that was in like year two. So like a year and a half or so after I started. Yeah. So that was about the timing. And how'd you find that person? Was it LinkedIn or was it, I want to see, yeah, maybe a referral or something. Okay. Yeah. But like some college kid or like who is this like? They were part-time? they were just out of college. Okay. And which is also like a good way to go too. If you find someone in college that um, shares an interest in lighting or whatever, or just like architectural, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're studying business management or something like that. Uh, you could find someone that has school to focus on, but they need a side job and they could be valuable. But also I think the valuable thing for you then becomes the ability to like cross train someone on what your business is and your goals and everything. And it, and it helps you become a better leader. Cause that's the thing that I also had a hard time figuring out is I would be super, uh, closed off and not spend the time to like paint the vision and stuff. So the first few years, it took me a while to get an employee that really stuck around, which is my engineer, Ed, who's still here. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it took me a while to get to the point where I can paint the vision and, and get the, you know, consistency of like, you know, get the buy-in of that person to want to stick around at a, you know, longer term level. Yeah. It was kind of like a sloppy startup, you know. Um, so I think getting that like entry level is good because one, you could take time off. Two, they're, they're cost effective because they're looking for experience of that part of their life, not as much cash flow. Like pay them an exposure. Okay, yeah, that's well, good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you still, you know, think about it though. It's like, if you're paying someone like, you know, 20, 
25 bucks an hour, like a college student, yeah. like that's good money for a college student where they're taken good care of. Uh, and then they could be flexible with their hours and stuff like that. And then they're getting like extremely valuable, tangible experience of helping you execute where it's like, okay, I brought in this job. This is what we're doing. This is the steps that I need you to help execute on. Can you start by lining this up and planning for this and whatnot? And like that, that becomes super valuable for you. Mm -hmm. So that'd be something you can, I think that'd be a great way to start. It's just hard to find those people. Right. Definitely. But like, a, you know, Kennesaw, I feel like, uh, what's that? Uh, I think it's called Thumbtack. Have you heard of that? No. So it's like Thumbtack as in like a billboard or mm. like a, a job board at a school. Yeah. You know, where you can post like internships and stuff. Um, I've, I've used that in the past and you can find resources because mm -hmm. college students will like look at that to find gigs and whatnot. So if it's like, you know, startup lighting, you know, lighting company needs help with operational management and execution. Yeah. Who knows who you'll find? You might right. find someone you jive with that has understand is like creative, but also can just like straight up execute consistently for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. So that'd be fun. I'm trying to think of what other things that I had to do early on. It's hard. I was not good at it. When you're talking about the first person you hired and trying to get them to buy in, were you just doing more of like, hey, here's what to do, what to do, rather than like why you're doing it and like why we're doing it? Or a little bit, a little bit more on what to do and like focusing on the product, its project itself, and not like the big picture of the company and why we're doing it as a whole. You know, like I was job, I was project focused, and I realize now that my business is more it's it's less about specific products like yes that's what we do and we help people build and manufacture products and whatnot but at the end of the day it's like our business is all about the people it's about the team and then the the clients that's really what matters it's not about the product itself which is weird to think about because we make products but at the same time it's like it's all having to do with like the emotions and the the goals of the clients and then also the happiness of the team working on it and that's the focus. And it took me a while to realize that. So it's something to think about. I guess that defines your culture, your work culture. Yeah. That'll be interesting to do as I, I mean, as if, as I grow and as I evolve, like just finding out kind of what that is. Cause right now it's mostly, I mean, all like the personal reasons why I like doing what I'm doing, mm -hmm. not just the people that I get to work with, like the awesome mm -hmm. creative folks of the architecture designers, but yeah. also the thought of like, you know, you design someone's office, like this is one project for me and then I'm done mm -hmm. and I'm not coming back to the space again after the last few walks or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like some guy is going to come in here and like be in this room, for example, and spend mm -hmm. 30 years in this room for eight hours a day yeah. for the rest of his life. Or whatever. Yeah. And enjoy the environment yeah. and the vibe. And it could be glary and miserable and horrible, or it could be yeah. like a really great place that makes him more successful. Mm -hmm. like, you know. Yeah. Like our, I'll have to show you our bathroom lights on the way out. Cause <laughs> you're talking about like how the lighting makes people look all like washed out and whatnot. And yeah. Like the dark circles under my eyes. So when I go into that bathroom and flip the light on, I'm like, Oh, geez. <laughs> but there's no window or anything, so it's not like I could pee in the dark. Right. So I like I have to turn the light on and just bear it. But it's, yeah, that would be probably an easy fix I should consider doing. Yeah. You don't want your employees looking in the mirror saying, oh, this place is killing me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's bad. So I totally, uh, that resonated with me. So, well, what, what questions do you have on for me? 
that, you know, as you continue to grow? A lot of like little silly operational questions as far as like, okay, if I have employees, like how do I have to do healthcare now and all this other stuff? So oh, that stuff is and that, still hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming that's a, that's another situation where you just get good people to, who are yeah. going to take care of that, right? You well, get some I, I, group or something. I see that's the thing is I made the mistake and this is something that you can learn from a mistake that I made where I did not have, I wish I hired a part-time HR resource early, like a consultant, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as I started hiring employees, because there's so many issues, because especially since I have multiple businesses and they're all built differently and stuff, like I realized that each business was set up differently and now those problems are coming up mm-hmm. of like, oh, well, this term, the terms on this employment are different than this employment. And when I, you know, terminate this position, I have to do this. And when I, you know, so like all that stuff, I wish I hired a HR consultant, which I have one now, uh, to help me one set up my baseline early, and then um, you know, well, yeah, and then then I would have not have had all these issues mm-hmm. that I that I'm still figuring out today, um, and like figuring out pay is tough, like how much to pay someone, um, the healthcare stuff. Yeah, I would say, and then also running payroll. And then taxes and all that type of stuff can be such a pain in the butt. Yep. And then the rules and regulations around, like if you hire a, well, if you start with a 1099 contractor, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure you've been one, right? Yeah. Like for, you know, so like, I think that's the better way to go. Like getting someone part-time, especially if one, they supply their own computer. Like that, like they they provide their own equipment and stuff. That's like one thing you have to look for. Mm-hmm. But if you like go in and you give them a machine and stuff, and it's like hard to classify them as a 1099, like they should be a W two. Yeah. Um. Even if they're part time, right? Like that's something I learned. Um. But if you get someone that's a 1099, that does make it easier for you because then okay. you're just writing them checks, and then you give them a 1099 at the end of the year that says how much you paid that person over that year's time. Mm-hmm. Um. And then when they switch to a W two. Then you have to like work through like payroll processing and that's where things get hairy, like mm-hmm. setting up their taxes properly. Um, and then the whole healthcare thing, being a small business, you don't have to offer healthcare right away. Uh, but I feel like it's important to get people to stick around. Yeah. You know, cause it's like, yeah, if they don't have healthcare and something happens and it's like, you feel bad as an employer because right. you didn't provide them with a resource to help them with that. So I found like, same with fi- finding a, resource to help you run payroll and do the HR stuff, um, which is more affordable than you might think. Yeah. Um, then also finding a resource that'll help you with a healthcare broker that'll help you set up a healthcare plan that'll work for you as a small business. Okay. Yeah. Cause then you would need healthcare too. Right. So if you're getting yourself healthcare and then you're figuring out like, okay, I'm going to cover half of the employee's healthcare and then they pay the other half or whatever. Uh, they'll help you set it up. So your payroll's doing the proper deductions and all that stuff. And yeah, guessing it is not something I recommend because there was times where like I didn't have a payroll processor set up and I like screwed up like, you know, a, it was like almost two quarters worth of tax taxes. Okay. And I like felt that for like a year and a half after it where I had to like pay back taxes and stuff like that. And I had to like rework stuff to get compliant. Yeah. and. I hated it. Lesson learned. Yeah. That was like maybe like two, three years in. Okay. So I, I wish I found a resource that I could just lean on to do that earlier on. 
So I'd yeah. recommend that. Okay. But now you're in the, the 1099 space. So you, that does help. But yeah, as soon as you have to switch someone over, I would just set up the resource and pay the monthly whatever. Yeah. And it'll, it's, it's worth it. It'll pay for itself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are you still an LLC for everything? Uh, depends on my business. For your yeah. business, I would stay an LLC. Like my service businesses are LLCs. Mm-hmm. But I have, so I've got my Klugonics and Onyx 360. Those are the manufacturing development business. Those are LLCs. Okay. Um, and then my other direct consumer brands are all C-Corps, Delaware C-Corps. But <laughs> I set those up because like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell them one day. And I knew that if you hold that C corp for five years, then you bypass capital gains taxes. Got it. Okay. But for my other business, I don't. I don't really think I'll sell those. It's like a lifestyle business for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I have an S corp that is called Klug Holdings. It's a separate entity that I funnel everything through to me, mm-hmm. so I don't have to pay the self employment tax. Um, so yeah, it makes sense to just stay in LLC for a bit. Okay. But the t- you know that self employment tax is kind of a pain in the butt, but it like is what it is, you know. Yeah, you have to pay it anyway. I'm sure you had to pay it la- for last year. Yeah, we just got through with all the all my taxes and everything, which is, a, which is a bear. But yeah, and it could, also cost me like three grand with or two grand with my CPA. So that was fun, yeah, but. it's worth paying a CPA. Same Definitely. thing. I could not have done that. Like after yeah. reading through it all, I was like, yep, I would have been. Screwed, yeah, so. I think that's a mistake when small business owners use like TurboTax and they mm-hmm. don't get all the consultation they need because they don't realize they can write off like their their space at home. They can mm-hmm. all, how to write off all your miles and travel and all that type of stuff. It's like you know all that stuff adds up and it and it does help you know, limit your tax liability, but mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to know that on TurboTax. Um, and then they also consult you. So like the following year you do things right throughout the year. So when the next tax season comes around, it just makes it much more of a breeze. Um, but taxes just get more and more complex as you go. Yeah. It's almost like you have to become, um, you almost like a CFO yourself. Yeah. That's definitely one of the more valuable things that I learned. I did this program called the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program. Have you heard of that? No. It was completely free. Goldman Sachs does it. And it was like a 12-week program. And I learned, you know, some of the stuff I like was was like, okay, this isn't that valuable for me, blah, 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 like marketing this and sales that. And these are all things that I was like figuring out. Um, But the things that were extremely valuable is like learning the ins and outs of a PL and a balance sheet and how to read them and how to understand like one, like now I can look at P and L's and balance sheets for any business and know their month by month financial story okay. and the health of their business. So the more you understand that, the more value, like that'll be valuable forever. Um, and it's like the most boring stuff, but you know, like, when you go to, so it'd be valuable for you to like go through that with like your CPA, mm-hmm. but also like when you hire a bookkeeper to help do your books every month by month and close your books every month, it's, it's helps you. So when your bookkeeper wraps up the books and it's like, okay, have a look through this and go through and make sure that they categorize things properly. And it's like, oh, this seems off. What, yeah. what this should actually be in here, which affects my taxes and stuff, or this shouldn't be classified as that type of expense or whatever. Uh, and one, it helps you keep like super clean books, which is valuable, like for getting loans and all that type of stuff. But it's also like, 
great for you to be able to just look at your month by month P&Ls and know the health of your business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, the, but it's, it's kind of like boring to learn and whatnot, but it's just so valuable. Okay. And most people don't tell you to pay attention to that as much. A lot of businesses that I see that aren't doing well do not do that. Okay. And that's, I think, like a core value that I don't think people pay enough attention to. Okay. But that's, why are you starting a business? To make money. Yeah. So why wouldn't you care about how the money works at the business, you know? It's like, yeah, that's what always shocks me. Yeah. But. Hmm. That makes sense. I'll look that up. Yeah, I know it's, I know there's all the reports and everything you can do. Because we have QuickBooks. I'm using QuickBooks yeah, too. So it's like a too. decent tool. Like, I mean, yeah. it, it should tell me everything I need to know. And yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. But. Yeah, but it's the thing is, is like you could use it and it can like auto-populate stuff and whatnot. And then you could go through the books after and be like, wait, this is all wrong. Mm-hmm. And then you're making decisions based on wrong information because things weren't done right. So that's where I think having a deep understanding of, you know, like, for example, when you go through your P&L on QuickBooks and you can click into like under expenses and meals and entertainment or under expenses and like cost of goods sold for your lighting when you're selling a light and stuff. Yeah. To be able to like click in and like look through everything that happened within that month under that category and know like, oh, this actually should not be here. It should be in cost of goods sold or whatever, or mm-hmm. it should be um, like that'll change your like companies, like how your EBITDA is present, all, whatever, like all that stuff ties back to that. And it's important to keep it tidy and clean. Um, yeah. And also understand like your monthly burn rate, especially when you do start getting like an employee that's fixed, you know, and you know, every month it's going to be this. And then you, you rent a a facility or like a small office and you know, like this is going to be that and whatnot. Or like I bought a car with the business. And so I know I'm Mm -hmm. this much and you know. Yeah. Did you buy a vehicle that's over five tons or whatever? I did. Yeah. Not five. It's so like what yeah, is the 60, it's 6,000, 6,200 yeah. pounds or something like that. Did Georgia, you buy a truck? I bought a, uh, a little SUV. Not nice. Little, got a big old SUV. Nice. So I got an older one too. But yeah. <laughs> no, went, that's a good play because then you write the whole value of that off. So mm-hmm. that'll help you this year. Yeah. And those some of those like little tips and tricks. And I'm not a tax person, so don't take my credit or no. don't take my uh, <laughs> as advice. I just think these are the things that I learned as an entrepreneur that, like, you know, that's valuable. Yeah, I oh, I called my CPA a bunch before. That's good. I got three hundred. I paid three hundred dollars for all the information that she gave me for, uh, yeah. for figuring that out. But yeah, yeah, so it's she helped valuable. Help me yeah. figure out, and yeah, and absolutely get into yeah, that. You all save that it in the end. Mm-hmm. I had a bad CPA before my current CPA, and and that's when my tax got really screwed up, okay. and it was because. He wouldn't take the time to explain things to me. He would just like do my books and, you know, just file and say, yep, this is how it is versus like, well, let's go through this together and figure out why it's that way and see what one you could have done differently and two, what could be changed around to make it better for your scenario. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the CPA I have now, I've been working with for a long time and yeah, it's definitely been uh, a game changer. Mm-hmm. So that's good. You have that relationship already. So, do you do any investments with like the business and the business money? If that makes sense, especially when you have these kind of S corps and everything, or mm-hmm. your C corps, you said right? Uh, depends. Okay. I mean, or is it all like personal investments? It's mostly personal investments. Mm-hmm. But if I'm leveraging cash out of the business, I do it as an owner's draw. So I get taxed on it, like it's my money pulling out of the business, mm-hmm. um, and then. Like I've had shares granted to like my, the entities as well. Um, and it just depends on the scenario and what the business is. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, that's a, uh, that's something too that you have to be careful with. Like where does the money come from and why? And then make sure you're classifying it properly. Mm-hmm. So, cause that could be like shady. I mean, but also it's like, if you're, uh, you know, your own business, you know, just if you're pulling the money out, that's like your money, it's your business. You know, you just have to make sure that your CP knows, CPA knows like, okay, I pulled this money out to make this investment. You know, I want the investment to be owned by me personally. So I'm going to do that as an owner's draw versus like, okay, I'm making this investment as this company because there's synergy between them. And, you know, I want the company to own the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, shares after the investment. Okay. So then it's not, it's not as considered an owner's draw there. Then you keep it within the business. Okay. So yeah, that's something I've had to learn lately. But just mostly personal, like there's not like a huge reason outside of a few examples where you should like actually invest in stuff with the company as well, Um, right? Yeah, it would definitely be like, what is the company? Like if I'm investing in a brand that is going to manufacture a lot of products through my companies, Mm -hmm. then I probably would invest as the company to keep it within the company. So if that company benefits, then it, you know, one pays back the investment back to the company, but it's like, uh, you know, that's that's fine if that company owns that asset or those shares and then the team within it can benefit from it if there's like an exit or whatever one day for that brand. Okay. So that's definitely uh, something I've uh, figured out over time. Yeah. But you gonna pull some investments already? You thinking? No, I need <laughs> to get out right now. No, no, it's just something I've been thinking about. I um, hard to you know, I do a little bit of research online and everything mm-hmm. else, but just curious talking to people. Mm-hmm. Do you still run into? So you're ten years deep right now into from yeah. the first one you started. Ten years in October. Okay, congratulations by the way. Thank you. Almost there. Did do you still suffer like a decent amount of burnout, or and like, and how do you deal with that? I or are you. Well, now I just like, I'm okay telling myself to just chill. Mm-hmm. I think I, I'm very preventative of burnout. Last year I had a lot of burnout because I was going through like a buyout with a partner that was like stressful. And then obviously we're having the kid, you know, so like, you know, helping with that was, and just being nervous of having our first kid. There's definitely some spots last year where like I would, be up all nights thinking and ruminating on stuff, yeah. you know? So like it's the, it's the type of stress changes. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like workload burnout, okay. but that goes, doesn't go away. But also at the same time, it's like to be the, the level of success you can get to is dependent on how you handle burnout and workload and stuff like that, you know? And you almost kind of like get numb to it in a way where you can, one, you figure out how to internally handle it better. And um, also like know like your own time management, how to spread things out to prevent it. So if like, if you're committing to something, you, you'll, over time, you'll like be able to look back and think of scenarios where you overcommitted or you made things too tight for you. And you'll start to get better at your own resource management. Okay to where you'll be upfront with uh, something to prevent that. And that's just something you'll probably pay attention to naturally over time. Cause yeah, burnout's real no matter what stage you are. I think it's just, you learn to handle it differently. And then you also learn to plan around it to prevent it differently. And then of course, when you get a team, 
to help. It's better. I think the difference is too, when you have a team is I'm more focused on making sure that none of them burn out. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I, like I'd rather tell a client, Hey, we need an extra week on this than letting one of my team members burn out because they're tight. We're tight on resources for, you know, one specific department. Um, I feel like that's more where my energy goes now in burnout prevention, which that'll change. Yeah. But it's, it's a good thing to think about because you don't want people burning out. You've, you know, makes you feel like a shitty leader, but also, you know, if your resource is burnt out, you're not gonna be able to provide the service quality you Mm -hmm. want. And then if they're not happy, they're not stoked to work with you. And it's like, you have a whole list of other issues that come out of that. Yeah. So definitely something to focus on. Yeah. But yeah. That preventative thing is smart as far as like, yeah, figuring out what what am I doing that's causing this basically? And like, mm-hmm. yeah, um, how strong out am I? You feel burnout now? No, um, week by week changes. Um, mm-hmm. Really just like the ones, the, the, like you said, the travel doesn't help. Like when I'm out, yeah. you know, in Richmond for three days for CCI and I'm working up from a hotel room there and I'm just mm-hmm. like, I, ugh, and I'm just doing 80 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot. So, uh, but week by week and mm-hmm. just trying to, I mean, it, if anything, I kind of have to be sharp all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. So that's helped me, I don't know, not maybe not grow up, but you know, get mm-hmm. more serious in a couple of different ways and like yeah. start, you know, prioritizing some the more important things. Mm-hmm. Someone, I forget, I was talking to someone and they were just talking about something they were working through at the time, but it was helpful to me where they were saying, you know, I'm not just too busy. Like everyone's like, oh, you're too busy, you're too busy, you're too busy. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, no, you're just prioritizing certain things. And so right. trying to think about it like that. And so, okay, am I, I'm going to be tired tomorrow morning. I'm like, I need, to, I need to go hang out with this friend, do happy hour or whatever else. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay. Do I need to like? Am I prioritizing you yeah. know, going out and getting drinks with these people versus like? Okay, I need to get up in the morning and do X Y Z. I need to work. So out. you probably saw that with me this week and not going out with you guys this weekend. Yeah, because I've added the other element of having a kid. You right. Know? So it's like, so yeah. I understand you were prioritizing them over me, um, yeah. but yeah. you know I was still hurt. But I will get through it eventually. Yeah. yeah. Even though that the last Tuesday was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You know, we were jamming and stuff. Yeah, but we were yeah. loving it. We were loving the, you were ripping on the guitar, man. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah, this is good stuff. It's good to, it's good to talk through even like for a new business owner. Cause a lot of the stuff that I've talked about with other business owners are like, cause the, the issues never go away. Mm-hmm. Like as you get bigger and you grow and you hire team members and stuff, the, the challenges just change, you know? So it's good to go back and think through like, because the the early stage stuff where one, you have like the freedom, two, you've got no expenses. So you get to save a lot of that income, which I would say stack as much of that and put it away as you can. Okay. Like that's super valuable. Like I didn't do that as much. I wish I did and get a stockpile going as earlier than later. Cause then you start, that's the other thing too. If you start, you know, if you hire someone and you've already got six months runway of cash stacked up for them, sure. mm-hmm. it's like, that eliminates that risk of needing that resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just focus on your monthly runway or you're like, how many months do you have stacked up in a runway? And then you're always focused on that. So like you hired person number two and it's like, okay, I've got four months now, but I've got all these projects. So through April, I'll stack back up and then I'll be, I'll be at six months after this person starts and takes that workload off yeah, and doubles capacity or whatever. You know, I feel like that's something that I wish I did. But it's good to look back on those things because, you know, if you if you're going in early, 
and don't make some of those mistakes early on, you're going to build a stronger, healthier business and you'll accelerate quicker than I was able to. Because mm-hmm. I made a lot of mistakes like those first six years. Yeah. And yeah, if I could go back, it would be, I would not have made some of those stupid mistakes. Right. <laughs> and a lot of it had to come down with like compliance and money management and that type of stuff. So yeah, always keep that stuff in mind and you'll crush it. Definitely. <laughs> and there's a need for lights. So yeah, I think we should, lights. on the way out, we should look through our lights and, you know, ha- have a quick consultation, a consultation. about our lights. Okay. All right. All right. Because <laughs> it's nasty out here. <laughs> <laughs> it, those fluorescent lights. I think I've turned these on twice since I've been in this building. Yeah. I don't, I don't like it. A little off. I mean, I don't know. It's really funny. I mean, I like, I like a dark workspace too. Like if mm-hmm. I'm actually, I mean, this is actually very similar to what my little home office is. A little yeah. standing desk. Yeah. I have a window on each side. This is very funny actually. It's a little I love the balance of this. Yeah. These two sides. And I do not turn the lights on. I just sit yeah. there and I just work from my computer. Yeah. yeah. Cause especially with uh, like a day like today, like this is pretty good lighting. This, mm-hmm. this room, I'm lucky. That's why I chose this as like my spot. Cause it's like, I got to come from both sides. This day's pretty light. I guess when it gets darker towards the end of the day, it can get a little dark. But at the end of the day, it's like I got a computer screen going and that's where I'm focused and that doesn't bother me. Yeah. But I could imagine, I did have a basement office once at a building and it was it was dark, but I remember setting up good lights in it and I had like this cool vibe in there. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a, like a gamer dungeon in a way. Okay. I had stuff like this going. So it was like nice warm lighting and it was like very chill yeah very zen lighting very zen dungeon it, it was like my crank <laughs> den where okay. i was like doing i would because i do cad work all mm-hmm. day that's what i would be doing back then and i remember being like a good vibe and i think it was the lighting that did that yeah because if you you know being in the dark basement if you don't have the right lighting you're just gonna go crazy oh yeah yeah that was fun <laughs> So, well, yeah, dude, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. When do you fly out? First, uh, today, 5.10, I board, 5.50, I leave. Are you going to so. go back to Eric's then? Uh, yeah, so I'll probably go Is back to Is he remote Eric's. today? Get a bite. He's, no, he's working from the office. He uh, abandoned me, left me uh, all alone in his house. So, <laughs> well, his house just going to pack chill. up a bunch of his stuff with mine and then, yeah, get out of there. I think it's going to be great. So. <laughs> Good. Well, great, dude. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. There it is. Zach Miller. It's a different episode this week. It was nice because I got to take some time to relive some of my past of when I had a day job and was starting my company on the side. And hopefully I gave him some value that he can use as he continues to work towards his transition of going full time with his business. But before we jump into the meaty stuff, let's talk one more time about Kluganix, our sponsor. AKA my company. I know we don't have a legit sponsor yet, but at the end of the day, Klugonix is paying for all of this. So that being said, I, I think it's important for you to succeed in your product development and sourcing journey. That's what we help with. So that's why we want to offer a free product development evaluation call with our product development specialist team, such as Hunter or Austin. They've been doing this enough time and have seen so many projects go through the life cycle of napkin sketch all the way to mass production. So this time with them spent, they can figure out where you're at and what the next steps look like and see if there's a way for us to help. But I mean, usually we charge for this stuff. So feel free, call today, mention the podcast 
And the phone number to call is 866-515-3338. That's 866-515-3338. Or check us out at www.clugonics.com. That's probably hard to spell. So K-L-U-G-O-N-Y-X. Okay, back to the field notes. So some of the big things that Zach and I spoke about were hiring, which is always such a hard thing to do, especially when it's a side hustle that hopefully becomes a full-time job and really understanding what you need financially, workload-wise, and making that leap into bringing on your first team member. You know, is it a part-time role? Is it a full-time role? You know, what is that gap you're going to fill to take off your plate so you could focus on as a founder what you're best at? It's always like a hard thing to do. My first role that I filled actually was engineers. I hired an engineer, which is weird because I was an engineer. But at the time I realized that I was also good at sales. And if I took all the CAD work and 3D modeling off my plate, I was going to be able to do more sales and bring in more business and more opportunities for me to grow my team. It really just depends on you and your business, you know, and what you're good at and understanding your you know, the, 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 all the skills that you have and figuring out what gaps you're going to fill in first. Um, and then also just making sure that when you do make that hire, it's a very important hire. It's your first hire, making sure they're a culture fit. Cause a lot of times it might just be you and them sitting alone in a room working together. You got to make sure you vibe, right. But also make sure that they can support that vision you're going after. You know, if they don't care, then most likely they'll fade away quick, quickly and leave you with, you know, having to fill that gap again, which can be difficult gap to fill since it's, you know, your first hire and, you know, there's a little bit of instability there. So you really have to find someone that is a culture fit and that can get behind the vision that you're getting after. So another good point that I wanted to talk about that was super valuable to me is, you know, one thing about being a founder that I see a lot of people miss out on is their financial literacy when it comes to how they manage their profit and loss statements and balance sheets and how they use those as tools to make good decisions. It's obviously, um, you know, you can't become a legit CFO unless you're, maybe you are a CFO and you're starting a business in finance or something. But I, I found a super valuable resource that I had the opportunity to do which is the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program. We'll tag it somewhere in here so you can check in and see if you have you could actually join that program. But I learned a lot from that program about my balance sheet, P&Ls, and just the finances of a business from a high-level perspective. So I was then able to take all of that knowledge and apply it on a day-by-day basis. And I use that still all over the place today where I can really understand what's going right and what's going wrong with a business by reviewing a month-by-month breakdown of a company's P&L. And I think that's something that the sooner you learn that as a business owner, the better you're going to build the business and have a stronger chassis when it comes to the financial side of how you're growing things. So that's a great resource to check out, but also I'm sure there's plenty of other resources out there that it's worth Googling around and looking probably even on YouTube and whatnot, but you do have to take the time and put the effort in and put time into your own P and L's, your own balance sheets and making sure that you're building them properly and really understanding what they mean. It's worth 
every second you spend on it and I encourage you to take the time to do so. Another big thing to look out for is of course burnout, especially for a new founder. I think burnout happens, it can happen a few times. One, when you're moonlighting it and you're working nighttime on top of a day job, you can easily get burnt out because you're working who knows how many hours. I think it was a point where I was doing easily 16 hour days. Yeah, it was hard for me to keep up with both. And I remember being pretty straining, but thankfully when I did that, I was much younger. You know, I was like 23 years old or whatever. So I had the energy to do that. Um, so that did help. If I were to do that now, I'd probably die. So just watching out for that and paying attention to make sure you don't do that to yourself because then you can have both sides fail. What if you lose your day job because you're not working hard there and giving them what, you know, fulfilling the expectations you have there. But then also at the same time, you lose motivation and interest in your side hustle, which is hopefully becoming your full-time gig. Just don't burn yourself out. It could be very easy. But then also at the same time, when you're working full-time on your business, and you're taking on so much and you're not, you know, you don't have a team to delegate to and you're just working pretty much every position. You're wearing all those hats. I mean, it's very easy to burn out. Give yourself some time to chill and take, take a minute and have fun and distract yourself a little bit because burnout's a real thing and it hurts. And if you're not paying attention to it, it could really suck and hurt things in a bigger way. And sometimes you could get in a burnout cycle and it's hard to get back into it because you're so burnt out and you don't give yourself the time to recoup your energy and then dive back in with a clean, clear mind. So pay attention to that. And then a great note from Zach, which he glad he's noticing this so early is just prioritizing your wants and responsibilities, especially for him. He has a lot going on with his day job and so on and so forth. And he has a good understanding of what he wants and what he should be focusing on at the time so he doesn't overload himself and get unorganized and whatnot. Just knowing what those responsibilities are of the things in those boxes you have to check, whether deliverables for a client or for his employer on the side, but also what does he want? You know, what does he want financially for an income? What does he want for his company to become? I know he likes to travel and enjoy himself. You don't get what you want out of it. What's the point? So totally agree with that. And it's definitely some I live by on a regular basis. So anyway, thanks for listening, Zach Miller. Thanks for coming on. It was a great chat. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks with our next episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, all the other podcast places where Cora posts on. We're all over the place these days. Just Google us. Founders Field Notes. See you in a couple weeks. 